Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Rich State of Mind, where I'm interviewing David Peer. David joined the Marine Corps back in 2008. Since then, he's lived or traveled to many unique places around the world, including a combat tour in Afghanistan. David got started in real estate investing back in 2015. He started off while house hacking a duplex with the FHA loan and lived in it for a little while before he married his wife, Kimberly. After that, he received orders to Hawaii. While he was stationed in Hawaii, David bought a 10-unit apartment in Missouri has had continued real estate investment success since. Through those experiences, Military to Millionaire was born with the goal of teaching service members and veterans how to build wealth through real estate investing, entrepreneurship, and personal finance. In this episode, we'll talk about long-distance real estate investing. We'll talk about his book. We'll talk about Airbnb. We'll talk about personal finance, entrepreneurship, you name it. TSP uh, covers a lot. Uh, I think veterans, active duty, military, and anybody that's just in, in, uh, interested in being an entrepreneur, period, and creating passive income for themselves and generational wealth, this is be a great episode all around. So please stay tuned and thank you for listening. Please visit our site at www.richstateofmind.com where we provide content on real estate, personal finances, and self-development. Share your story and information by posting a blog on our site so that the Rich State of Mind community continues to grow in knowledge. You can also follow our Instagram page at rich underscore state brand to find out about exclusive offers and discount promotions for our apparel. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast because it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other outlets. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And thank you for listening. Hey, good evening, David. Thank you for taking the time this evening for a lot of good information that I know you're about to spew out. So if you could please tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, thanks for having me on the show, brother. Uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I guess the quote exciting thing about me is I'm uh, still in the act, I'm active duty Marine for a little bit longer. Uh, about 2015, I started investing in real estate. And the super short story is that I replace my income through real estate and other passive uh, income streams. And I'm going into the reserves here this year to take all this full time. I'm the host of the Military Millionaire Podcast. We've got a pretty good community just helping service members and veterans learn how to build wealth through uh, real estate, entrepreneurship, and personal finance. Okay. And then what, what got you into real estate investing? What made you start in 2015? That magical purple book, right? Rich Dad, Poor Dad that everybody reads. Um, <laughs> I was, uh, somebody Somebody was actually trying to get me into Amway to like do the multi-level marketing, sell like soda drinks and stuff. And I wasn't really having it, but he gave me that book. He's like, you should read this. And I was like, I don't want to read it. And he gave me the, uh, the audio book and he was like, all right, well then listen to this. And I'm like, okay, fine. Like you called my bluff. I'll listen to it. And I mean, that book totally changed the trajectory of my life. Like thank you very much. I appreciate you. Like he's just totally turned things around for me, which has been awesome. That's the first time I've heard it referred to as the magical purple book. 
but yeah, I yeah, think everybody I call it the purple Bible sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely has been like the starting point for a lot of people that decided to either real estate invest or be entrepreneurs. I think it's got a lot of key concepts that a lot of people can carry on with the, for the rest of their lives when it comes to business. Uh, so I saw that you did, you start off with a duplex house hack. Is that the first real estate, I guess your first time dealing with rental property anyway? So ex explain that experience, uh, house hacking, you know, somebody paying half the rent, what was the rent cost, uh, et cetera. Yeah. So it was kind of like perfect timing, right? I read that book and then I was coming up on uh, the end of a, a lease as a, for an apartment. And I was, I was still single at the time, but I was a recruiter. So I got housing allowance. And so I was in this apartment. It was a two bed, one bath apartment. And it cost me, I think like $550 a month to rent this place. And I was like, well, let me look at some duplex prices. And I was doing math and I was like, all right, well, these don't look too expensive. So I, uh, this was in Missouri. So I got my duplex for 81,000 and I actually didn't use the VA loan because I had a lender who told me I shouldn't use it because I could only use it one time, which is wrong. Um, so they talked me into using the FHA loan, which isn't the worst loan in the world, but I definitely could have done better. And then, uh, so I paid three and a half percent down on an $81,000 duplex and I got in, my mortgage was 615 taxes have kind of changed. So it's actually 585 now, but I paid 615 for principal interest taxes and insurance. And I had a tenant in it for 475 when I moved in. So I was like, all right, well, you know, that's $120 or whatever that I have to pay out of pocket for this mortgage plus expenses. You know, that gives me a 300 and some change uh, dollar window before I'm even the same price as what it was to live in my apartment. And I'm owning the place and I'm paying down principal. Like, all right, let's try it. And so I did that and I, I lived in it for a little while with the tenant and then I got orders to Hawaii. And so once I moved to Hawaii, you know, I rented both sides out and I started making about $200 a month. And then since then we've, the rent has increased probably about it's about 550 each door right now. So uh, currently bringing in like 300 and some change every month net. And I've paid down you know, $10,000 on the loan. And uh, it's just been a, it's just been a good property. So I got into that and did the house hack for a little while, which I think is the best way for anyone to start investing in real estate. And then I turned around and uh, once I saw the real potential for cash flow when they when I moved out and rented both sides, I was I was hooked. I was like, wow, this is really easy because I had hired a property manager when I moved. Uh, just, I know I'm not the personality to deal with tenants, and so I hired a property manager. And then it was just mailbox money. I was just getting a check every month and having maybe an hour that I would talk to my property manager tops and like look at books. And so yeah, I was just hooked. I was like, this is awesome. And then just kind of kind of went from there, I guess. Did you have some type of vetting process when it came to finding a property manager before you left? Part luck, part just a whole bunch of Google articles. I read through probably 15, 20 different articles and compiled a list of like 10 or 20 questions from these articles on things I should ask. And then I interviewed three. And so I had three different properties, I property managers I interviewed. One was, I don't even remember. And then one, I went in their office. They were super fancy, but they had a lot of extra fees. And then the one that I actually ended up working with was a fairly new property management company, but... While new, they were also, uh, she had been a manager for a construction company for like 20 years. And so she was very experienced, just a new company on her own. And so they seemed like the right people for me. They were uh, running the lean operation. They weren't super expensive. They didn't have a ton of fees. And so I went with them and it turned out to be great. Like she's grown quite a bit over the last few years with her team and I, I've, they've never steered me wrong. So, yeah, man, I, 
I haven't been lucky yet. I got somebody that's okay, but I've definitely heard of some success stories when it comes to uh, finding a, the right property manager. Uh, I've heard a lot of times people say, hey, you know, they're better off just doing it themselves. But when you are in the military or if you just happen to not be the type of real estate investor that invests in your market, like if you live in Hawaii or you live in Los Angeles, it makes sense for a lot of people to uh, buy rental properties in uh, lower areas, then you're going to need that property manager. So, yeah. uh, you know, I guess to each his own based on the situation, I don't mind doing a lot of the property management work unless it's going to court and then always receiving phone calls or the showings. Yeah. The showing, yeah. The showings I obviously can't obligate to because what, you know, we work and then, you know, who's got time to go to court all the time too. So <laughs> I, I agree. Yeah. Wholeheartedly. I mean, there's definitely some of that stuff I could handle, but I don't want to deal with it. To me, it's absolutely <laughs> worth paying someone else to just not worry about my properties at all. I, I agree. I agree. Uh, so you haven't had to manage your property manager much. It seems like, seems like you just have you monthly meetings with her monthly conversations. And then that's it. At this point, it's not even that. So when I first started, I gave her like 250 bucks and said, Hey, if you go over $250 on any expense, I want to know about it and I want to approve it. And then as we got comfortable working together, then it was like 500. Now it's like, call me if you have an emergency. Let me know if you need something. I mean, she's handled evictions before and I haven't even known about it until I looked at the report at the end of the month. Um, and so I don't even, I mean, I call her if I got a question, I call her if something's coming up, like right now, like we're looking to buy some more apartments. So I called her and said, Hey, what do you, what do you need from us for these apartments? And she, you know, gave me the docs. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, but I mean, as far as like actually doing anything, I, I mean, she sends me a report at the end of the month and I send it to my accountant and say, here you go. That's pretty much the extent at this point. And so when you went to Hawaii, what was your mindset in Hawaii trying to still real estate invest? My biggest focus when I moved to Hawaii was learning. I mean, I tried to buy some property in Hawaii. I tried to buy some, some uh, like a house hack in Hawaii, but at the time the VA loan still had a limit and there was just a lot of stuff going on. It wasn't going to work out for me really. So I tried to buy in Hawaii. It didn't work. I, I did partner on a flip with somebody at one point, but my mindset when I moved to Hawaii was essentially just learn everything I can, save some money, pay down some debt, you know, and, and really it was just keep my eyes open. Ooh, sorry. Um, <laughs> and that, I mean, that kind of changed. Like I, I did some direct mail a little bit. I dabbled in this, I dabbled in that. I ended up buying a 10 unit while I was out there and a few little plots of land. Um, I bought another deal as well, but I didn't do anything like, well, I guess you could say buying a 10 unit site unseen was pretty crazy, but for the most part, I didn't do anything super crazy. Uh, I just kind of kept like consistently like learning and saving and learning and saving and learning and saving. And, um, and then eventually I was able to buy that 10 unit, which kind of sparked a little bit more capital and appreciation and everything. And then going forward from there, it's been just same things, networking with everyone I can, learning as much as I could, building out my team and my, my market, and then just continually getting better. I mean, it's just little consistent steps, you know, and then now uh, we actually took control of a hotel yesterday on a lease option. So if you include that, now I'm at like 60 doors um, with another 39 under contract. And so my portfolio is going to, uh, I don't know, grow, grow like four times this year over one deal. So yeah, be, yeah because you said that wow. you, you said that you replaced your income. Uh, so didn't know about the hotel, so I want to get to that. But before that, I saw that Not in your many bio. Not do yet. 
<laughs> I saw that you kind of had like a jumbo financing when it came to the 10 unit. You did some seller financing. Uh, you borrowed some money. Uh, how much did, did this 10 unit cost? And what did you have to put down in order to get it? Yeah, the 10 unit is probably my best deal so far. Well, up until yesterday. I, don't, I think yeah. the hotel is going to crush it. But um, 10 unit was one of the better deals, I think, so far. Uh, we bought it for two hundred and twelve thousand. It was listed for two forty. Bought it for two twelve. This is like a like a D class, maybe F class. Like this is not a high end property at all, right? This okay. is the kind of place you carry a gun to go look at. Um, not, I wouldn't say it's in the ghetto, because just because of the town. I don't know that the town has a ghetto, but if there was a like white trash redneck meth version of the ghetto. probably comparable right like this was not a nice place i mean it's not the worst place in the world basically my clientele are like really old social security kind of like like the tenants who don't really have any family left don't really have anything going for them and they just don't have any income they just like sit around and like do whatever um and just an old rundown home uh apartment right but but i mean the numbers were good there was some room to make some improvements so i bought it for 212 and we I convinced the seller. So there were some repairs that needed to be done and I was trying to negotiate like lowering the purchase price, whatever. So it was weird. We were under contract for 225. It dropped to 212 and somewhere in there, the seller was going to carry uh, 10% of the note, but the, and then I was going to put 10% down. The bank was going to put 80% down, but okay. somehow some way uh, when we reduced the price for repairs, the bank didn't get the memo. So I showed up at closing and the bank was like, well, we can either come back next week to finish the closing, or you can just only put 5% down and we'll close today. I was like, okay. So I got in for like 4.9% down. I think it was like 10,900. And then I probably put another 10 or 15,000 into painting it, changing out the soffit, repairing some stuff on the roof, updating, you know, some stuff. And then over the years, obviously like LED lights and some other small upgrades, but nothing crazy. I mean, I'm, I'm probably 20, 25,000 all into it. And about a year and a half later, I refinanced and I pulled all my cash back out and paid off the seller financing. So then, you know, I'm 70, 80% loan to value, but I have no money left in the deal. And it's still cash flowing some months better than others, probably averaged about 800 to a thousand a month. So not like a home run per se, but good amount of cash flow for not having any money left in the deal, even though it was a larger property. And uh, I had it on a 16 year note. So I was paying $700 down every month and yeah. So, okay. I mean, it could have cash flowed a lot higher if I had it out on a longer note, but I was trying to pay it off quick. And then, uh, yeah, someone, I was trying to refinance it a few months ago and someone made me a really good offer. And so, uh, assuming they close on the property, I'm going to sell it for three fifty this week or next. And they were supposed to close last Friday, but some issues came up. So, uh, assuming they close this week, then I'll sell it for three fifty, and I'll net, uh, well, I'll gross 147 and I'm going to, 1031 a hundred of that into this really big apartment in june which i wasn't going to 1031 it i was just going to eat the tax bill but then this deal came up and i'm like okay fine i'll 1031 100 and the other 47 uh, i'm going to pay off my wife's home equity line of credit which will make her happy which is not the debt that makes the most like financial sense to pay off but it'll make my wife happy and then she'll be able to refinance her primary home so um, at which point i will have successfully no longer have money hold on our primary residence for real estate and um, <laughs> it'll only be like property debt. So it'll be good. That was my next uh, question too. And cause I was like, okay, if you're going to sell this for making a, a gross of 150, 
Are you going to 1031 this? So I'm glad you said you were uh, because there's so I much you can going. do. But, uh, I mean, I was going to eat the $33,000 tax bill and pay off all my bad debt and then still have 50K to play with. And I was going to be really happy with that decision. That's but not that bad either. Deal that came around. Yeah. With this deal that came around though, I was like, all right, fine. I'll, I'll roll the 1031. So what you I know. did not know is that you're taking a portion of the, of the capital gain. I didn't know you could do that. I thought you had to use all of it. No, 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 no. So if you, I mean, the rules still, still play, right? Like I will still need to buy like kind exchange. It'll still have to be uh, an apartment or, or whatever. That's more valuable than what I currently am selling. And I'll still have to be, you know, a real estate investment, not a primary, like all the normal rules still apply. I'll still have to meet all that stuff. But basically you don't have to roll the entire amount in. It's just that the amount that I don't roll will be taxed. So let's say my tax rate was 15%, which it's more than that, but let's say it was going to be 15%. If I was going to do 150,000, that would be like 22.5 that I would pay in taxes. But because I'm only being taxed on the 47 or the, the extra 50, then I would pay 7,500 in tax and the other uh, you know, 15,000 or whatever from that hundred K that would be rolled into the future with the 1031. Okay. So just learn something new. Cause I, I always thought just how it's been. I learned that explain. too. Cause I was asking questions. I was like, is this possible? I don't want to put all of it into it because my wife, I promised her I'd pay off the stupid HELOC. So, <laughs> and you know, kudos to her being patient with you, right. And using that HELOC to be, you know, buy into more real estate, you know, buy into yeah, your, yeah. your passion. Yeah, so, I stepped yeah. out that HELOC like four years ago, so she's earned it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would have did the same thing, man. I yep. would have did the same thing. And so, all right, now let's talk about this hotel, man. So how did you come across this? How do you even buy something like a hotel? And in, in what area? Okay, so I'm going to preface with saying that none of the answers to this question are going to be repl replicable. Um, this is a very unique situation and there's not like a, this is what we did and this is how we found it. And this is how we financed it. And this is it. No, um, I was sending direct mails for single families and duplexes and like absentee landlords. And this guy owns a single family house in this little podunk town called Buffalo, which is about 3000 people. And he was like, yeah, I got this single family, like whatever. He scheduled a phone call with me. So I was like, okay, cool. So I jumped on the phone with him and we're talking. He's like, yeah, you know, I might sell the house. I'm not really sure. But what I do have, I want to sell. I've got a 40 unit hotel, a 15 unit apartment, a 23 unit apartment. He's like, uh, I really want to sell the hotel. So if you guys just buy everything, you can have the house too. I was like, what? <laughs> hmm. All right. So we started talking. I mean, me and him probably negotiated and talked on the phone for like, I don't know, eight hours over the next two or three weeks, back and forth and back and forth. And he might sell or carry this and he might sell or carry that. He might do this and he might do that. And I tried to tackle it on my own. And we basically, we ultimately came down to, um, we're going to, what we're going to do is he, he needs to hold the hotel until September to avoid short-term capital gains because he had bought it from a bank and started turning it around. And, uh, and then he just, he was trying to turn it into, uh, like assisted living and the city said, no. So he didn't really want to own a hotel. He wanted to own the assisted living facility. And because that couldn't happen, he was like, look, I'd, I'd rather just retire and, and take the money and go back to Florida, like go live in Florida. Like I don't want to deal with this thing. And so we agreed to buy it from him as a lease option. So hundred K down, we buy the lease and then we have to close it somewhere between September and December. And we'll get a small business administration loan for 10% down to close that. And then the apartments were buying 
uh, through our banker at 15% down. And so I was trying to work everything. So we ended up being that we're going to need like $307,000 down, not including closing costs. So we're probably going to be all in 330, 340 with this thing with inspections and stuff. Um, but, you know, I was trying to take it down myself and uh, I wasn't going to have 300K from this deal. So I had a friend who owns an, uh, owns a hotel in a town about 40 minutes away. And I was like, bro, you got any interest in this? And he went and looked at the property. It was like, yep, I'm in. So he had 100K. And then uh, my roommate and I were talking and he was like, I got a hundred grand. I don't really have anything else to bring into the deal, but I got money and I get along with him. So I was like, yep, done. All right. And uh, so, yeah, we decided to form an LLC and take it all together down together. So yesterday we signed the lease and Hugh gave him a hundred K and said, great, we're operating the hotel now. And then to, and then we also signed the the uh, purchase and sale agreement to buy the two apartments in the single family house on June 1st. Pretty, so pretty crazy with, deal. Um, yeah, yeah. The returns crazy. are going to be awesome on this thing, I think. And this is when you were saying that you replaced your, you have replaced your active duty uh, income. Uh, I haven't included any of this in. So I would have said that I replaced it not consistently about three months ago, maybe six months ago. Because, um, you know, things kind of do this. But now it's it's fairly consistent now that I've replaced my, at least my base pay. Um, and then I get some disability pay when I get out. So um about six months ago, I was like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm finally good. This hotel will, uh, could potentially double that. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to get my hopes up too high, but it's, it's a pretty good buy because it, it went bankrupt and this guy bought it and started turning it around and we're like kind of picking it up like right at that turnaround point. So, um, definitely some opportunities with this thing. That's, uh, that's awesome because you, you had two people that were able to, you know, you were able to talk to, and I always say that this is not just a, you know, buying property business, a people business. And so for you to have two individuals that you could trust to do business with, it ended up working out really well for, for all of y'all. Um, do, does the, your roommate, does he have any prior real estate investing experience? Yeah. So he's actually, he's a VA lender and he, so he owned a duplex and a single family. And then he and I bought a portfolio of five units back in November together. Um, and then we sold one. So we own four doors together as well. So we've worked together a little bit and he's a very similar mentality to me of kind of like, eh, okay, whatever. So uh, we get along pretty well. Okay. So a breakdown to me as far as how does Airbnb kind of tie into all this? Because I, I saw your blog, I saw your YouTube video. You seem very knowledgeable when it comes to Airbnb. Uh, can you please share that a bit? Yeah. So I don't actually own the house I live in right now. I'm renting it because when I first moved to San Diego County, the VA loan still had the limit. And so I couldn't get into a duplex, triplex, fourplex because they were all too expensive for the VA loan. I didn't have the money to put down. So I was looking at single families. I wasn't finding anything I really liked. And I was like, all right, you know what? Maybe I'll bite the bullet. My, my family went back to uh, our hometown because I was planning on getting out of the military. Like maybe I'll bite the bullet and I'll get a small place that way, you know, I'm living alone. Like whenever they come out, I can just rent a, a hotel and we can have the bigger place, but you know, I'll save some money. And I was talking to a friend of mine and he was like, dude, don't do that. Just get the normal place where your family is and just Airbnb a bedroom or two, because then you can cover some of your expenses. And when they come out, you can block the rooms off so that you have all of the rooms. And I probably messaged like 50 or 60 landlords in like a weekend when I first got here 
like, Hey, this is what I'm looking to do. Are you okay? If I, if I was to move into your place, would you be okay with me renting bedrooms when my family is out of town? I didn't mention that my family was out of town, like 95% of the time, but, um, you know, at, before COVID, I expected them to visit a lot more, but then the whole pandemic thing, like nobody visits anyone. So, uh, I've seen them, they've come here once since that started maybe twice. Yeah. Like, like two weeks total since that time started. Uh, I've gone there once or twice, but um, you know, so I, I started off with, I was Airbnb being a downstairs room and then the upstairs, uh, I just left it open. So when they visited, they could stay in the upstairs, like the kids could stay in the upstairs. And then when it became obvious that they weren't going to be able to visit as much as we planned, I took the income, the downstairs was making like one or two months and I bought furniture and furnished the upstairs. And so for a while I was running two Airbnb units and then my buddy, John, uh, got out of the military. He was like, Hey, I need a place to stay. I was like, yo dude, just crash in the downstairs unit, pay me, you know, a little bit under market rent and we'll call it square. And then <laughs> he never left. Uh, it's been a year and some change now we get along great. So he still pays like, you know, clockwork, just like, I think he pays like 900 bucks a month, which in Missouri or Missouri, California is pretty cheap, even for a one bedroom and like a brand new, I mean, this, we were the first person to persons to live in this new neighborhood in this house. So uh brand new house, I mean, 2019, 2020 build, uh, 2019. Um, and then I still Airbnb the other bedroom. And so at this point, I probably had like 93, 94 stays, I think all five-star reviews and uh, most of them. And so I, I'm in a weird spot where I don't have a manager. I do. I've cleaned every turnover myself with the exception of one where I was out of town and my roommate did it for some cash. Uh, I clean it myself. I manage it myself. I do everything myself. So it's not passive at all. Um, I interact with every <laughs> single guest personally. I've met them all. I've talked to them all. I've had the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent. I've had uh, mostly really good experiences, one or two terrible experiences and some very interesting stories. But through it all, uh, I managed to get five-star reviews, even with the lady who, after she saw my review, like threatened to sue me. So, um, you know, cause I just, people feel bad leaving a bad review for a guest, but the reality is if I hadn't left a one or I think I left her a two-star review, um, the lady like ate my roommate's meal prep and smoked in the house and drank my whiskey and, or my scotch and like a whole bunch of stuff. Right. Um, but if I hadn't left that bad review, some other host would, would have taken her on as a guest. So I, I said what I had to say after she left her review and then she got really mad, but I've still managed to have all five stars and, um, I've learned a ton about Airbnb because I've been doing it out of my house now for two years. Yeah, she was having a good old time, uh, ate a clean, healthy meal prep, and then had a cigarette and then drank some whiskey. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and we're talking like a Macallan fifteen year, like a nice, you know, decent bottle of scotch, and <laughs> nothing. Like, oh yeah, I'll just help myself to this bottle of scotch that's almost as much as my stay was. <laughs> <laughs> so, so much. Uh, how do you ensure the five stars each and every time there's a couple tricks right so i mean the first one is uh, i mean the first thing is have a very accurate depiction of your stay so if like you know have professional photos have good high quality photos but and and whatever but like don't stage the place to look bogus like take pictures of how the place is going to look Make sure that when someone walks in, they're like, oh, this is exactly what I expected, right? That's what you want. Um, so a good first impression. If you're going to meet them in person, you know, polite, maybe you wear a mask until you, they say they don't care or, you know, whatever, like just play by the rules, be a polite guest, be a nice guest, let them have free reign of the place, be nice, whatever, like 
even if they're driving you nuts, um, like the one person, it's like, hey, it's only three nights. Wait till the end. Like they're going to be gone. I don't have to say anything, you know, whatever. And then I think the, the super trick, I mean, that's the basic thing. Just be a good person, be a good host, have a place that looks like what you recommended and, and don't claim amenities you don't have and list everything you do have and whatever. But the super secret is that it's not really that big of a secret, but like the night before they leave or the day they leave, send them a message that just says, Hey, you know, I appreciate you staying here. You were a great guest. I'll be sure to leave you a five-star review. And it does two things. One, it, you know, makes them feel good about themselves because you said they were awesome, whatever, and they're going to leave on a good note. That's going to be the last thing they remember about you. But two, it kind of invokes the law of reciprocity where like you gave them this gift, like, Hey, I'm going to give you a five-star review, you know, whatever. And they're, when they're, when they're doing the, their review, they're going to think about that. And a lot of guests don't realize that four stars is actually bad for an Airbnb host, right? Like they think four stars, like, Hey, this guy wasn't the Marriott, but he was a good get a good host. Mm -hmm. But the reality is like, you want five stars when you tell them like, Hey, I'm going to give you five stars because you guys were awesome. And you know, I know that'll help you with your next day. Um, they're going to want to do the same. And then I wouldn't say that if you're not going to give them five stars. So like the one that I, that like threatened to sue me after she saw my review, like I basically just sent her a message and was like, Hey, I, you know, thanks for staying. I hope you had a great time. Right. I didn't mention anything about what I was going to say. And then on that one, I actually waited until her review posted before I said anything um, just to make sure she actually left me a review. And like, once they leave a review, they can't, they can't change it. So like her, I mean, it's kind of like, like that for Uber too. Yeah. yeah so her, her review is like something. It was like something good, like David was amazing would, would 100 million percent stay again or something like that. And then she saw yeah. my review and she, flipped and i'm like mm, too <laughs> he's late got, he's got great liquor thank i'll come yeah. back <laughs> his roommate's meal prep was delicious i ate half of it and then left it <laughs> open sitting on the fridge like so that everyone could see that i did it and that was and the so funny thing like the next morning she's like she's like hey uh, i got hungry last night so i ate something out of the fridge i hope you don't mind and i'm like what what it's like oh yes why would you randomly help yourself to food? And I didn't know, like, I figured she meant like one of the frozen, like things in the fridge, like, you know, like, a, I don't know, a frozen meal or something like, okay, cool. Like if you're going to replace it, no big deal. But now I open the fridge and there's this meal prep container with the lid off and half the chicken breast gone, just sitting on the you know fridge. And I'm like, you went for my roommates, like clearly prepped meal for the next day. Yeah. He's going to be a real happy about that one. So I wanted you to uh to go uh deep into military to millionaire. So I you have a very in-depth website, you have a lot of content. So you definitely not only have you put a dedicate a lot of time towards your real estate investing, but you definitely uh, dedicate a lot of time towards building your brand. And so please explain what does military to millionaire uh, provide to service members? Well, I appreciate you asking. Uh, so from military to millionaire.com started from me wanting to just kind of document what I was doing, you know, what I was learning. I wanted to learn how to write and I wanted to learn how to blog. And um, I didn't have any idea what to write about. So I was like, all right, well, I'll just start writing. And this wasn't my idea. Someone else told me, well, just write about what you're 
you know, what you're doing. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do that. So I just started writing, kind of documenting what I was learning and what I was doing right, what I was doing wrong, what I was seeing, blah, blah, blah. And then it just kind of took off. Um, I mean, it's not like exponential growth yet. It's growing faster every month, which is kind of crazy. Um, but it's, it's done very well. I think partially because I try to keep a very open kimono, like, look, I'm not a millionaire yet. I'm working my way there. Like, this is my journey. You know, here's what I'm learning. This is what I did wrong. I definitely did this wrong. Wow. I did that really wrong. Holy crap. This was bad. Um, so I try to be really approachable and open about things. Uh, it's definitely been fun. I never expected it to grow to the point that it has now where I actually have a platform to reach people and I'm going to write, I've got this book coming out and I'm going to be able to like actually give it to somebody and, and somebody might read it, which is crazy. Um, but it's, yeah, I mean, the whole platform is designed around helping service members, veterans, and their families learn how to build wealth through, you know, real estate, entrepreneurship, personal finance. And it's just kind of an open platform for helping connect people. Right. So we do a lot of different things, but the most of what we do is just podcast, YouTube, free content, whatever I feel like learning or talking about it. What I do now is when people ask me a question that I have heard like three or four times over the last couple of weeks, I'm like, okay, that's a question I just need to address in an article. And so for example, the one that I just wrote uh, two, two weeks ago, I think three weeks ago was just about what you should do with your TSP when you get out of the military. Should you roll it into a self-directed IRA? Should you roll it into a civilian Roth IRA? Should you leave it the heck alone? Like, what should you do? And uh, I get asked that question all the time. So now I can just be like, go read this. It gives a much better answer than I can tell you in two minutes via a text message. And like, it's much more detailed. It's got links to other stuff. Like, It'll really help you out. So that's kind of become my content strategy at this point is just whatever people are asking about or I'm learning. I just try to post it out there because, I mean, let's be real. I made a whole bunch of mistakes with military finance when I was young. Like my TSP was in the wrong fund for years. I lost out on all kinds of stuff. In the G fund? It was in the G fund. Yep. The mistake everybody made and everybody learned the hard way because nobody who learned it ever went and told their Marines or sailors like, hey, I learned this. You guys should fix this. Yeah, Just I was in. The, I was definitely in the G fund for like five years before. I yeah. lucky for me, I or blessed for me, you know, one of my friends, he was in a real heavy into Bitcoin, like back in 2011. Yeah, around 2011 time frame, and he was what he was doing. He said he was doing TSP loans in order to buy Bitcoin, and that's when we kind of he kind of stumbled across like asking me what what fund do I have, and I was like the G fund. He's like, oh, you're wasting your time. So. I actually put it in like in life cycle 2050 and I, I actually, Smart. the next year I went up uh, like 22%. Uh, this past year has been like uh, 33, actually the, the market, yeah. you know, the longest bull market we've had. So um, I actually plan to use, like I plan to use my TSP for like small uh, down payments on, on pro our next property as well. So uh, definitely be rolling that back and then do cash out refinance and put it back in just play with it until I intend to retire. I don't, I don't really yeah. intend for my TSP to be, to grow to 2 million in the next eight years when I retire, if I decide to get out of 20. So the best thing yeah. is, is just keep using it and then putting it back and keep using it to, to buy investment properties. Uh, Cause my appreciation in the, in the homes that we bought, we have our, yeah, our net worth has gone up a hundred grand in two years. And I would not be able to get a hundred grand in my TSP in the last two years depending on how much you got in there but yeah 
I like, I don't know. I don't ever, I don't know that I'll ever take a loan out for my TSP. It's, I like the diversification side of it. Like I like the fact that my TSP counts as cash reserves when I go to qualify for a loan. So if I don't use it, then I can just keep using it as cash reserves. Like, Hey, I've got six months reserves for this property and banks are cool with that. Even if I've claimed the same 80 grand for like 10 properties. And I like the diversification of like having capital. Like if the world falls apart, right? Like when the pandemic hit, I was able to look at my fund and say, if I have to, I can pull that and I've got six months or, or 18 months of expenses, I'll be okay. Whereas if I spent that money on a property and then something really bad happened, then I'm kind of stuck. So I don't know that I will personally ever pull from the TSP unless I have to, just because I don't want to have that. Like, like I want to have the cash, but yeah. And so that's what a Dave Ramsey, that's what a Dave Ramsey and me kind of kicks in uh, because we have that emergency fund that we have always put aside in case, Smart. you know, God forbid, we have we both get kicked out the Navy uh, in order to cover our expenses. So I've mixed. Hopefully I was dating. I know, right? You know, worst, worst case scenario, right? I think job security is pretty yeah. good when it comes to the military, right? So yeah. <laughs> so pretty when good. it comes to, uh, I was Dave Ramsey heavy, which is why I, I was debt-free before I, we started real estate investing. And then I realized, yeah. like, it's going to take me forever to be able to pay off a home in cash. Like this is, it's going to take me like six, seven years, maybe to save up 180 grand. And so um, that's when I looked up more about the VA loan, about how that works. And uh, you know, you can buy up to a quadruplex, live in one of it, one of the units and then rent out the other three. So I think house hacking is perfect for military people because you can VA loan everywhere you go. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's so many awesome opportunities with the VA loan and with house hacking. And uh, I think the house hacking is the best strategy for starting it with the real estate for sure. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, the average person, at least in the Navy, we PCS about five times at a minimum of five times before we uh, retire. And so if we happen to have moved every time or just after, you know, after the year has passed, perfect world, get a quadruplet each time. You know, five, four times five, you know, you'll have 20 units by the time you retire. Uh, yeah. Try to try to put them and on a 15, 20 year mortgage. The first one off. Yeah. Yeah. So it could work out if you, the fortunate thing is that a lot of things are not told to us when we're coming in. And I didn't learn a, a, about a lot of this until my second tour when I got stationed in Los Angeles. And then I got, I saw how much, I'm like, what do people do around here? Why, why do people have so much money? And uh, that's how I kind of got exposed to people being involved in entrepreneurship and real estate. So uh, I think I, I, that's why now, like at my, I'm on a carrier, aircraft carrier in Norfolk, and like I'm one of the command financial specialists. So every chance I get, like I'm, I'm like telling people, a, a junior sailor would be like, hey, this is what I want to do. I'm like, hey, look, save your money. Don't buy a nice expensive car. It doesn't matter anyways. You know, if you're trying to get a girl, it doesn't matter. Just get a nice A to B car, save your money. You're going to be glad you did that. Put 15% in your TSP, especially now because they have the blended retirement uh, system now. Yeah. Do you have, you have BRS as well? Yeah, I, I actually changed over to it, yeah. Oh, cool. You must have just hit the the uh, criteria you must like just by the the, the month yeah was i was one of the older guys i was one of the first people in the marine corps i think to actually take the continuation pay because you knew you were getting out well you don't really know how that's going to work so 
I took the continuation pay because I wasn't 100% sure I was getting out. I'm going to end up having to pay back two years of it. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I got to use that cash until I have to pay it back. So it worked out for me. I put it into debt. So I earned interest on it the whole time. So whatever. Um, <laughs> it's about the only way I'm ever going to get an interest loan from the government. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, I don't know. I mean, it was like almost 10 grand that I got. So I put 20, I think I put 30% of it straight into my TSP and then the other 60% or whatever I, uh, I dumped into, yeah, I think I just put it into a personal loan that I had just to pay it down and you know, whatever, but I'm going to have to pay part of that back for sure. But no, I still, I still ended up working out. Like definitely ended up working out for you. I think for some people, like we talked about earlier, we I came into the Navy um, and I fell in love with it throughout my time. But as time went on and I saw other opportunities that would provide more freedom, you can't, you got to admit, it's, it's very appealing. And, uh, as, you know, as much as we may have enjoyed the time in the service that we've had, uh, it's hard not to, it's hard to ignore the opportunity, especially when we got a taste of it the opportunity to have passive income, financial independence, and I can get up and go to sleep whenever I want to. I agree. Yeah. No, it makes a world of difference for sure. It's yeah. Military. I mean, I still think the military is probably the best thing you could do out of high school. I mean, you get free college, full benefits, good pay, job security, VA loan, free college going forward, free college after the military. And you get to like experience <laughs> job, experience life and learn yeah. what you want to do. Right. You take a job and then you're like, wow, this sucks. Well, at least you learn before you put $70,000 into college to learn it. This is true. The Navy spent $70,000 for you to learn it actually. Yeah, exactly. So you can't beat that. You know, I don't know. It's good. It's a good job. And so you're also an author. So please uh, break down what's the name of your book? What's it about? Yeah. Let's make sure I don't Where mess this buy up. It? Uh, so my book is The No BS Guide to Military Life, How to Build Wealth, Get Promoted, and Achieve Greatness. And you can, it's pre-order, right? So I just like physically, like I got home 10 minutes before we started recording this. There's two boxes on my doorstep. I haven't opened them yet. That'll be the first like physical copies of my books that I have seen. So I'm super excited about that. The book is available for pre-order. You can go to from military to millionaire.com slash book. I tried to make things pretty simple. So slash book, you know, it's <laughs> whatever. It's about as Marine proof as it gets, uh, <laughs> but it's available for pre-order there and it'll be launched officially June 1st. So it's like everything I wish I'd known when I first joined the military. And my hope is that it can be a book that you like hand to somebody when they join or when they're like, if you had a kid and they're going to boot camp, you'd be like, here you go, read this. And if you just follow this, then whether you serve four years or 40, you'll at least be ready for transition when you get out. Right. So I, the very first chapter is like all things TSP. Cause I'm like, this is what, like, if nothing else, like if you just open this, when you go to boot camp and you realize, Hey, I should put 15, 20, 30% of my TSP and not put it in the G fund. You'll be so well off when you, and luckily it doesn't start in the G fund anymore. It goes right into life cycle, which is great. But I mean, life cycle is really good if you don't really want to touch it, but there's still some better funds out there, you know, oh, you yeah, know for sure. Um, yeah. I'm not in life cycle right now because I'm okay playing around with it a little bit. I, I mean, I haven't touched my fund allocation in like three years, except to reset it to 75 and 25 uh, C and S fund. But 
um, which is not me recommending that's what you do. That's just what I do right now. But um, unless you really want to put time into learning the funds, then the life cycle is amazing. It's way better than anything else you're going to get. It's so passive. You just let your money sit in there forever and it makes money for you. Um, so yeah, I start off with that and I run through like finances, uh, getting promoted in the military, uh, jobs you should take, like things like recruiting duty, if it's worthwhile, uh, you know, whatever. And then it ends, you know, the last, the biggest section, the meat and potatoes is investing with obviously heavy focus in real estate and VA loan and house hacking, and then kind of ending up with like, uh, transitioning out of the military and personal development and life after the core or the, you know, military or whatever. Um, and yeah, so I don't know, we'll, we'll see, hopefully that life after the military piece is well, well written. And I follow it because I haven't actually gotten that far yet in life. And we're about to, about to make that leap right now. So, uh, so far all the dominoes are lining up for me to make a pretty smooth transition. So I'm excited. Well, if you had it in the seaplane, you haven't, and you didn't, you know, move it, then you weren't wrong, uh, because it's been doing awesome. Uh, yeah. The last I've had years. a pretty good last couple of years. So not yeah. complaining. <laughs> I have more than doubled what was in there in the last two years. So yeah, that sounds about right. Granted, I'm also contributing. So, you know, pretty heavily. Yes. But that's... And then also um, you mentioned something when it came to your book, when you said that it's almost like the, uh, we have what we call the blue jacket book where it's kind of like the, the beginner's guide to being a Navy sailor. And so your book being the beginner's guide towards being a military uh, you know, junior guy, all the things that you, I wish I was told and many others before you wish they were told before they got, you know, started or before they became senior in the military. I think that could be something that could be like the, the token book that every senior person passes down or buys for their junior guy. Hey, look, this book right here, we, I mean, you could talk about for about three hours, but this book right here, read it and then let's talk. Uh, and I think you kind of hit something that could be, that has evergreen potential for years, as long as they don't get rid of the TSP, which I don't see happening or the VA loan. Uh, and obviously real estate is not going anywhere. Uh, I think this is something that could definitely last until after you leave this earth. We'll see, man. That'd be sweet. I just, I just hope somebody will read it and actually put money in their TSP or use the VA loan. Right. Like, I can get like one or two people to call me and be like, you know, I read this book you wrote and I bought a house and now I'm living for free. I would be a happy man. That would be awesome. If, you know, I could get the PX to stock it and the entire like military reads it, you know, I'd, I'd also be a happy man. So, but uh, there you go. Barnes and Noble. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's going up on, pre on Barnes and Noble, but I don't know if they'll have physical copies yet to be determined. I suppose that depends on how much it sells. Right. Awesome. Well, I, I, I do wish you the best on know. that. I, because Thanks, uh and, and i'll be hitting you up man because I, like i said i still want to write my first book and so uh definitely Journey. i'll be checking out i'll be checking out your book on your page uh, how much is it how much is the book uh it depends on what you buy anywhere from like 7 to 24 depending on what version i think the paperback is like 14.99 probably okay. go on sale i don't know how that works i haven't i have a publishing coach she just kind of does everything and i just like okay thanks <laughs> publishing coach just okay I yeah, there was, uh, I would never have been able to navigate books uh, without <laughs> her. She's awesome. And so with everything that we've spoken about, clearly you are passionate about uh, being financially free. Uh, you, you have definitely made a success out of the military and you're making that transition out. 
with a plan, obviously, and obviously you're not jumping uh, into an empty pool. You have some water to jump into. Still, obviously, a transition, but I think yeah. that you are, it's safe to say that you won't be living underneath a bridge. You have plenty of hotel rooms you could probably live in if you needed to. So, <laughs> yeah, worst case scenario, right? So, what, what do you consider your, your rich state of mind? What is your big why as to why you've gone so hard in life uh, past? you know, probably a lot of expectations and things that you thought you would uh, ever do. I think a lot of it just boils down to this is fun. Like it's a challenge. It's fun. But, you know, when it comes to the why, obviously family, that's a big piece of it to be able to get out of the military, take my time with my kids and my family and do whatever I want. Uh, but it really comes down to just that, like controlling my time, being in charge of my schedule, being able to do what I want, when I want, where I want, how I want and not like responsible for other people's mistakes and not have to answer to other people for my schedule or whatever. Um, and I think that, you know, that allows you to make a much bigger impact in your life. So I think just being able to take back my time as well as, um, you know, being able to just spend time with family. That's the big, that's the big piece. Yeah. And, and I can totally relate. Um, I just recently came off of deployment uh, several months ago. No, uh, no port visits. We only hit two in seven months. Uh, so yeah. definitely gave me like a, a reminder of, you know, how important family is and kind of kicked me in the butt as far as one actually starting this podcast and, and we are starting our rich state of mind website and putting out a lot of content for people to, to increase, um, you know, their income and become financially free, debt free, stuff like that. So I could definitely relate to that. I hope to be in your shoes very soon to where I'm making, I had that fork in the road. I'm like, Hey, I could get out and be okay. Or should I stay? Cause I ain't a lot. Like, like Amir said, those golden cuffs, they, they are pretty attractive as far as the retirement pension, but like your family. And I think COVID has kind of, uh, in, you know, imposed on that, you know, definitely shown yeah. to a lot of people, Hey, family really is important. Look, I can't even see my family right now because of I'm in a red state now and people have to, uh, rom in their homes for two weeks before they're able to go out into the normal normal world so uh, thank you so much for uh, taking this time man I, I just learned something new about the 1031 right the 1031 exchange you don't have to use all of it you can split it up but you got to pay taxes on what you don't use for the next uh, property uh, so thank you so much David this was this was awesome this is definitely a treat uh, definitely something where I plan to get that book too because that's a book where I think that it's gonna be able to get passed down seriously so I'm I'm not a I'm not a ebook. I'm not a, I'm not an electronic reader. I like the I like the the physical. So I'll definitely get the physical. It's an audio book too, but yeah, I'm a physical book or audio book guy for sure. I don't I've never read a Kindle. Some don't people that's their thing. It. I have an ebook now, but I don't plan on reading it. So <laughs> but thank you again, Dave. Appreciate it. No, oh, thanks for having me. This is good. I'll share it when it comes out.